Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Thank goodness it's Friday. Oh, what a week. Crazy week. Unbelievable. And uh, the things we've seen this week are incredible. Um, right now, uh, you've got Adrian Dix, the health minister, is doing a, a, a reporter availability on the approval of the, vac- mm-hmm. the COVID vaccine for kids. What do you expect there? Yeah, well, good news. I mean, this was anticipated. Uh, Health Canada now clearing the decks for uh, 5 to 11-year-olds to get um, vaccinated. This will be a dose that is not like the dose that you and I got in terms of uh, its uh, strength. It's a a lower dose uh, for younger kids. Um, It'll be interesting to see what the take-up is. An Angus Reid poll last month uh, uh, suggested that only about 50% of the parents are going to be in a rush to get their kids vaccinated. Another quarter or so are going to... You know, still get their kids vaccinated, but going to wait a bit. And then some significant numbers say, no, I'm not going to get my kids vaccinated. So we'll see. It's taken six months to get to the 76% mark for 12-year-olds, 84% double dose for that group, or 84% single dose for that group, 76% double dose for that group. So it's going to take some time, but uh, hopefully vaccinations will begin uh, sometime in December. How do you expect this vaccine to be distributed? Is there, Could they do it at schools or no? That's not going to be the emphasis. It's, yeah. it's uh, there's going to be in some areas there probably will be in some, probably some rural areas, but it's going to be uh, different uh, situations. They want to make it very kid friendly. So there's going to also be a message campaign I think rolled out with this to alleviate any concerns parents have that this is uh, you get your kids vaccinated against all sorts of things. You know, um, polio, measles, whooping cough. Uh, this is just added to the list. Okay, we uh, had a conversation earlier on the show here. It's fascinating. I brought on two of BC's top highway construction yeah, experts. Yeah, that was. Yeah, we, we talked about the, the massive damage that we've seen to BC's highway infrastructure and the task that lies before the province now in, in rebuilding and probably redesigning a lot of these highways. Yeah, he made, one of your guests, I think it was Joe, made the point that we see, to a point you made, we do see landslides. That's not unprecedented. What's unprecedented is the timing of these uh, and the scope all at once to shut down all the routes. It's just absolutely unprecedented. And to do it, we're not just small uh, landslides. These are significant geological events. The Coquihalla, I think, is in a state of its own. I mean, that thing's going to be down for months, as uh, Mike Farmer says and Rob Fleming. But the other ones, uh, we're already seeing, uh, we're seeing single-lane traffic start to emerge in some of these. Malahat here on the island, single-lane traffic, alternating routes. And that's going to be the way it is for a while. But again, uh, the message is if you don't have to travel, don't travel. It's essential travel only. And the priority is going to be commercial truck vehicles to ensure the supply chain is maintained. Right. And we see the Hope Princeton Highway uh, could reopen this weekend for single lane restricted traffic of emergency vehicles and supply chain vehicles likely going through there. So, you know, some stuff is moving, but... Well, yeah. we existed for decades without a Coquihalla Highway. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the newest highway. It was built in the mid-1980s. Uh, again, before that, we had no Coquihalla. It is an engineering marvel. Everyone who's driven, is, you have to wonder at it sometimes because you're in the middle of nowhere. You're up high. And that's why it's going to be difficult to uh, to fix that. As your guest pointed out, no access roads. So you're gonna, I assume you're going to have to start at the bottom and at the top and work your way towards the middle. Uh, where the broken parts are. Yeah, because it's broken into five different pieces, and you can't get to these places. It's not like there's a side road you can go up to get to these damaged areas. So you either fix them one by one and go along, one after the other, or, as Kelly Scott, the president of the BC Road Builders, said to me, well, it is possible to take heavy equipment and lower them in by helicopter. That stuff, that's been done before, but... 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's uh, leave it to the engineers to figure this out. But yeah. again, the pri- I don't think the Coquihalla is the priority to get open right, right now. It's going to be the other routes. Right, exactly, and of course, and of course, we got Highway One underwater, and this is why the other pressing concern now is is to get that route open. Mm-hmm. And we see the mayor of Abbotsford once again. This what a week this guy has had! Unbelievable, Henry Braun is yeah. the mayor of Abbotsford now talking about look, we may have to expropriate some properties there in order to build a levy, mm-hmm. and and we've got to do it fast. Like we've got to get going, get this levy built. Uh, before the water starts rising again. So here he is, uh, Henry Braun, the um, mayor of Abbotsford, talking about the need to get that levy built. We gotta do this. And I, you know, if that was my house, I, I would be upset. I get that. But I gotta look after 3,000 people that are here. What do I say to them? Sorry, the water's gonna rise and it's gonna be 10 feet higher a week from now than it is today. Okay, Henry Braun there, the Mayor of Abbotsford. Henry Braun, the new star, uh, he's really stepped to the fore here. So he's emerged as a a very eloquent, decisive voice on the scene there. And they are expropriating, I think, what is it, 10 properties to to save for the betterment of of the community. It is a tough one uh, if you're one of those 10 properties, but uh, it's an extraordinary situation there. Yeah, and they need to get it done quick, too. Yeah. Before it starts before raining again. Keep an eye on Henry Braun. I think he's uh, emerging as a a guy whose political star is rising. Yeah, he's he's been a real he's been a real leader there, and uh, hats off to him. Uh, Premier John Horrigan, uh, you know, I know you visited him in his office. So I mean, it was his first time you had to, opportunity you had to spend some time with him since his uh, cancer. Yeah, we did. Uh, Richard Zussman did a sit-down interview with him yesterday, year-ender, that'll air on Global later. And then I went in for a, basically a social visit. First time I've been in that office since March 2020. And we talked about our last conversation in that office. And back in March 2020, so long ago, at the very beginning of the pandemic, he told me, I'm not going to be the fr- the face of this thing in terms of leading the, everyone through the pandemic. I'm going to rely on my team, which is Adrian Dix, Rob Fleming, Mike Farnworth, Carol James. And, of course, Carol James is... is uh, retired from politics, but by and large, we talk about how the team, his team is still there. It's still the same people running the show. I mean, today at 1130, Mike Farnworth, Rob Fleming, uh, along with Lana Poff and the agriculture minister, holding a briefing, updating everybody on the situation. So it, we talked about how he's kept his team intact for four years. And it really hasn't changed, and he continues to rely on them. So he says when you know, he's going in for radiation treatment, and he says, when people ask me, well, what's what, what's going to change? He says, well, basically nothing. It's my team, the team is still going to be there. It's going to be Dix, Farnworth, Fleming, Popham, and others who are still going to be running the show. The premier, and I pointed out to him, all the premiers I've covered, of 10, I think, he has been the least intrusive premier. Usually the premier's office plays a really um, key role in sort of not meddling, but controlling a lot of things and stepping into ministries and controlling ministries. And that's not the case with Horgan. He has a completely different approach, which is why as he disappears for about a month or so undergoing treatment, you're not going to see a big change in how the government operates. Okay, well, he's in the middle of an historic challenge now. I mean, this yes. is this is the hand that he's been dealt with with this disaster. And He's got the team in place, but it's a team that's taking a lot of criticism, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the liberals have been very, very aggressive in attacking the government for uh, the slow response to this disaster, failing to use that cell phone alert system, failing mm-hmm. to put out some uh, early warning systems. There was a very dramatic question period yesterday where the liberals have just been relentless here in attacking the government here. Do you think the government deserves it? 
that get taking well, some heat here for the way they've responded to this? I think there's always a need for better communication. I think that's the main thing in this. No one could have predicted the landslides, and I, I even think the volume of water uh, was was not quite predicted. But in terms of communication, I always think just back to the heat dome. I still think there could have been more and clearer communications on the eve of the heat dome to explain exactly what we're talking about, not just rely on um, meteorologists or the media to explain this. That the government has to be more proactive in explaining the dangers of what's coming. And the Liberals pointed out Washington State governments were more out there in terms of warning people what was That's coming. That's right rather than BC was. So I always think the government can, can't do enough communication. Well, and it's also kind of surprising that this that, that part of it has been kind of bungled, in my opinion, because we just went through this. So, I mean, we went through a similar you know scale of disaster just a few months ago with the heat dome and towns burning down and hundreds of people dying from heat, and the government took its lumps on that. And then here we are a few months later, we get another disaster... And they're still taking heat for, for failing well, to, are, to respond to it quickly. And the government is falling back on the argument that it's up to local authorities to sort of drive the bus here. And I wonder if that model has to be revisited because I, I'm sure we, we see a checkerboard response when you rely on local authorities. They're not all the same. They don't all have the same levels of expertise. And I just wonder in going forward, if we see more of these events, that the whole structure has to be changed. Right, let me play real quickly here, a short comment from Horgan here, speaking to global reporter Richard Zussman here about potential for gasoline shortages in British Columbia. And here's what he had to say about asking the United States for help. Have a listen to this. If there are resources in the United States that could be freed up for the short term, that will assist us. Yeah, so he's going to now ask Trudeau to put some pressure on Biden to maybe have us uh, get some, some more secure gas supplies here, just in case. Right? Just, just in case. So again, uh, the, the supply chain is going to be more of a north-south supply chain for a little bit, uh, with uh, supplies coming out of the east but going down into the states and then coming back up into British Columbia because the east-west routes right now are, are compromised. But again, the, the expectation this is going to be short-term. There was mass panic buying of gas in Victoria yesterday for no reason. Um, but again, extraordinary three-block-long lineups to fill up your car at a time when we had enough gas to satisfy everyone. All right, welcome back. Lots, lots of calls here, but first let's go to the CKNW newsroom with this. This is Gord McDonald. Two different breaking news stories breaking moments ago. First off, the federal government in Ottawa now says that as of November 30th, fully vaccinated Canadians and permanent residents who are visiting the U.S. for less than 72 hours will not need the costly PCR test in order to return home. Critics in both countries have been complaining for weeks about the test, which can cost 150 to $300 as something that was stymieing the short trips over the border from Canada to the U.S. In Wisconsin moments ago, word came that Kyle Rittenhouse has been acquitted on all charges after pleading self-defense in the deadly Kenosha, Wisconsin shootings that became a flashpoint in the U.S. debate over guns, vigilantism, and racial justice. The jury came back with its verdict after close to three and a half days of deliberation. The 18-year-old Rittenhouse could have gotten life in prison if found guilty on the most serious charges. He was charged with murder, attempted murder, reckless endangerment for killing two men and wounding a third. This during nights of protests uh, in the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign in the United States. I'm Gord McDonald. Board for that breaking news there, and uh, as you heard, uh, dropping the PCR test for short trips across the border, 72 hours. Keith, we don't, no surprise there. We knew that was coming. 
Yeah, we sort of all broke that story a couple of days ago. It was just uh, it was timing. So November 30th, that's a, that's a new new piece of information. That's the date it takes effect. Okay, and Kyle Rittenhouse not guilty there in that very high-profile trial in the United States. We'll see the reaction to that. Also breaking news here at the B.C. Legislature a very, very short time ago here, Health Minister Adrian Dix uh, commenting on the timeline for kids to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Here he is speaking just a few minutes ago. It will be arriving the middle of next week. I would expect you'll start to see um, doses go out uh, the beginning around the week of the November the 29th uh, as it's distributed around the province. I think uh, it's very exciting news. Everyone wants to know, and lots of people have been asking me this morning, well, what can I do? How do uh, parents have been asking this question? And it's pretty simple. Right now, get your children registered. For children and for parents, get registered. Okay, as uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix speaking just a few minutes ago. Let's go to your phone calls here now. Doug in Surrey. Hi, Doug, go ahead. Hi, Mike, and uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, I, I think of the uh, B.C. Liberals and their, uh, and their attacks on the government, given the situation was dropped in the, the government's lap on such short notice. They, they remind me of a submarine sitting in with a uh, battleship in the crosshairs like a bunch of vultures on the top row of a fence waiting to see what floats by that they can pick off. They've got enough dissension in their own party. They're trying to pick a leader. Uh, they, they are just looking for any way to take a cheap shot that will enhance them and get them back into what do you power. Think, what, do you think, what do you think if the tables were turned and it was the Liberals in power and, and they had been slow off the mark? What do you think the NDP would be doing right now? Do you think they'd be cutting them slack and saying that's okay? It could be interchangeable. You oh, know, yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, well, the opposition's duty is to hold the government's feet to the fire, uh, and I think that's what the Liberals are doing. Yeah, let's go to uh, Noreen in Abbotsford. Hi. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to call in. You know, it's really, um, a lot of people are really suffering out here. Yeah. Um, and I just really want to thank everybody who has come the military, we have SARS from all over, all over, mm-hmm. you know, the police department, it is absolutely horrific out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you have no idea. This, and so many people have done so much good, and I don't want that lost in all the kerfuffle of it. Thank you, yeah, Noreen. No, good call. I, I think one of the... Um most impressive bit of footage and uh was the footage overnight of 300 people filling sandbags in abbotsford to build that levy around that pumping station yeah critical to build a, to support that pumping station so yeah. people came out of their homes in the middle of the night in a disaster uh, prone area and you know basically put a, a supply chain of uh, filling sandbags to protect their community that was quite extraordinary yeah thank you noreen for that call squeeze in one more andrew in vancouver go ahead andrew oh hey Guys, I was in Hope, stranded for the two and a half days before we could get out. Mm. And I think, I wouldn't blame the government. I I think people's expectations of the government need to be substantially muted. Um, At the end of the day, the problem and the the biggest problem is that they're too big to respond quickly. Um, The communication systems that they have in place, I'd say are fairly antiquated because they weren't really effective. And part of the problem is that 
when everyone was stranded, they were trying to get on the internet to get information. So the pipe or the or the yeah. getting the, uh, the the internet pipe that was uh, being that they've got up there is way too small to. Thank you, thank you, Andrew. Uh, I hate to hate to step on you. We're out of time, Keith. No, it makes a good point. Uh, websites were crashing. Drive BC site crashed. Uh, but again, government will take stock and learn lessons from this.